This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 57. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my assistant to the regional manager, Chris Graham. Chris, how you doing today, buddy? Hey, guys. I'm having a good week. It's been a period of growth for me. We've got a bunch of stuff going on family-wise and otherwise. It's been pretty intense, to be honest, but it's been a good opportunity to sort of lean into that suck and grow through it. So I'm good but for bad reasons. Yeah, dude, I'm sorry to hear that. Everyone of us, including myself, have hit periods like that, but getting the good out of the bad is something we all go through and getting growth periods in painful periods is something we all must endure through. And hey, I'm an audio engineer. It happens, right? So this is true. This is true. (laughs) So speaking of taking bad things and turning them into good things, today's episode is all about getting out of and avoiding debt. So we've talked about this in the podcast in the past, debt. And, you know, obviously we're a business podcast. Debt is an important part of either how a business will fail, has failed, or how avoiding debt, you know, made them successful. So debt is this crazy thing. There are, it's not a one size fits all answer. This is one of those advice buffets where we're going to say some stuff and you're going to say some of that was stupid, but some of it was cool. And that's sort of our hope here. First of all, we're just going to rehash some things we've talked about previously on the podcast. What's good debt? What's bad debt? And then anywhere in between. So a home mortgage in many cases is good debt, but not always. If you took out a loan to buy a mansion in Gary, Indiana or Youngstown, Ohio, probably not good debt. Probably not a good debt. No offense. My wife's from Youngstown. You know, I've been there. I'll never go back. (laughs) You've alienated tens of our listeners. Tens of our listeners, maybe twelves. So if, on the other hand, you're buying real estate in, say, Nashville or Columbus, Ohio, what, what, um, probably a pretty good idea, especially if it's in a good part of town, you know, with a lot of growth in it. So I own a house. I've got a mortgage. But as a result of that mortgage, I bought at the right time in the market and my home value has gone up. When I finally sell my house, if I sold it today for what it's worth, I would have spent nothing to live here. I actually would have made money living in this house over the past 10 years or so. So there's good debt, there's bad debt. But let's get into the business side of things. When it comes to your business, our advice to you is debt is almost always bad, specifically pre-cash flow. Now, what do we mean by that? Cash flow is your business is regularly making money each month. You're making deposits consistently. So that means you have money coming in and that's cash flow. If you are pre-cash flow and you're like, well, I'm going to start a studio, so I'm going to go $50,000 in debt in order to start it, not recommended by the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. So let's talk about that. There's a couple things that you could do to go into debt. Brian, what are some things I could go into debt to make myself feel good today and bad tomorrow? Yeah, there's going to be a number of things here that people that we've seen will typically go into debt for. The first and the most obvious, I think, is gear. People love to buy gear on debt. That's just something that has always 
been a trap that people fall into simply because they don't necessarily want to practice something called delayed gratification. So gear is one thing. Another thing that people spend a lot of money on to go into debt is a commercial facility Mm -hmm. or even sometimes spending a lot of money renovating their home for their home studio needs. And again, if that's pre-revenue or pre-cash flow, this is where it's even worse idea than anything else you could possibly do. Third is an audio degree. You see this all the time. People spend a lot of money on an audio degree up front before they really even understand what's necessary as far as knowledge, skills, abilities, and connections and what they could maybe use that money for otherwise. And then marketing. Marketing is a big one. Yeah. So I would say the audio degree one is probably the saddest stories we hear about people are not, I bought a bunch of gear and then my studio went into debt. It's, I got a $60,000 audio degree from, I don't want to say their name, you know. Does it have an F and an S in it? Soul fail. Soul fail. It's sort of a, <laughs> actually, that's a really funny joke. <laughs> yeah. Soul fail university. I got, yeah. I got a $60,000 degree from soul fail university. It's actually $78,000 degree, okay. actually. $78,000. And oh, surprise, surprise. No one's hiring. Mm. Oops. So, man, if that's you guys, I feel for you. That is some tough stuff right there. And I'm sure there are people that have gone to Full sale with people we've interviewed on the podcast who it worked out great for them. I personally know more people who have a degree from Soulvale University and instead it in no way helped their careers than I know from people that have had successful careers from that university. So yeah. um, that's just my personal experience. Obviously, I'm probably a little biased here. Yeah. So sorry, Soulvale. We don't mean to pick on you guys, but... <laughs> sort of kind of mean to pick on you guys just a little bit. And that comes back, that would be a whole rabbit trail. But I believe if you are charging someone for a college education, you are obligated to share the placement rate of people who have the degree and the placement rate for, you know, any sort of audio degree right now is not very good. It's pretty low. Do you know any numbers from that? No, but I would guess it's probably somewhere around a philosophy degree or a dance major. Not very high. (sighs) So that being said, this is more of like a socioeconomic philosophy opinion of mine. I'll shut up about that. This is not about audio degrees. This is about debt. And the most important thing that you need to consider when you go into debt is what is your break-even period? How long will it take you to make money as a result of that debt, which then pays off that debt? How do you get back to zero? A $78,000 loan to go to school for audio is a very, very, very long time to break even on that. Unless you are one out of a thousand people that lands some unbelievable job or is like the best salesman of all time. So yeah. Anyways, let's keep going. One final thing as far as debt is concerned that we didn't really discuss yet is taxes. Oh yeah. Taxes is one of those things where if you are not putting money aside as a self-employed audio engineer or studio owner, if you're not putting money aside for taxes, you're in debt and you're in debt to the worst debt collector you could possibly owe money to. And that's in America, at least that's the U S government. Well, in history, they're the most powerful organization ever. You don't want to spit in their eye, literally anybody else, including like, I don't know, say Russia or great Britain would be a better enemy to have than the U S government. So Anyways, so those are the different ways you can go into debt. And I think there is a time and a place for some of this. Where do you draw the line for good and bad debt with gear, marketing, and specifically facilities? Those three things, because that's the three biggest areas that people tend to go to debt on. Well, for me personally, and this is just me, if I can 
make money by going into debt within three months, then I'll at least consider it. Now, that's a really loaded statement because it could be, I'm not saying that I have a chance to make money within three months. I'm thinking, boy, I'm guaranteed there's no way I don't at least break even within three months. That, all of a sudden, things get a little bit more interesting. So if you get a home studio, you're thinking about buying a $3,000 microphone, the most important question is, are you going to land a pretty big client because you have that microphone within three months? And if the answer is yes, well, this guy said he'd hire me if I have a Neumann U87. Here's slight alert. <laughs> if he said he'd hire me because I have this microphone, so I went out and bought it, then maybe it was a good investment. You probably should have rented it because then yeah. that would have been way better. But then at least at that point, it's interesting. So this marketing argument can be made. If you have a business model that has proven to work, you have done many, many projects, you've consistently had happy customers and five-star reviews, marketing starts to be something where you can at least consider debt in the short term to go into. Yep. And I think Chris Graham is a perfect example of someone that has that proven business model, has the past, has the history and the know-how on how to turn any amount of debt put into marketing into a profit with relative certainty. So now let's kind of transition this. In our pasts, you and I have both experienced debt, I believe, right? Yep. In my past, I've gotten as high as 15 grand in consumer debt. I count that debt. I don't count my like real estate investment debt because that to me is a whole separate thing that we're not going to get into today. But Chris, you've probably beat me on that number. I think you mentioned earlier to me. Yeah. Well, as far as personal debt goes, my wife and I have been very lucky. We very rarely have had, you know, really any personal debt to speak of. You know, occasionally it'll be like, oh crap, we didn't have enough money to pay off our credit card this month. So we've got a few grand. So we've been good there. But as far as the business goes, yeah, there have been times when I unwisely made investments, when I bought equipment or when I spent way too much on online marketing and then had to hold that debt while I waited to break even on the expense. And occasionally when you do that, it's a dangerous game to play because if you make a big marketing investment that doesn't pan out, oops, now I have debt. And I have done that in the past. I'm still paying for that in many regards. Probably about four or five years ago, I was spending money like crazy on paid advertising. And I made a couple bad bets, so to speak. And I'm still carrying a little bit of debt from that. Business is still totally profitable. I'm still very comfortable. And that debt is in a nice little spot where I can manage it easily. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today is to kind of come clean with you guys, you know, I've got a six figure business, but I do have some debt. I don't like the debt. And I want to talk to you guys about how I got it, what I'm doing about it. And hopefully I can preach to myself. I say that constantly. That's the criticism. That's the criticism. The criticism. Preach to myself about how to not do this in the future. And I would say that the ultimate reason for debt often comes down to not having bookkeeping strategies or accounting strategies that keep you in tune with reality. And this term of having a bookkeeping strategy where you're tracking your income, you're tracking your expenses, you're tracking what you owe to the government for taxes this year, you're tracking every penny in and every penny out and every penny that's going to need to come out soon is something called management accounting. Management accounting is like having a scoreboard. If you're playing soccer or football or baseball, it's like being able to glance up and say, oh, the score is four to three. Okay, and we've got two minutes to go. Okay, good to know. Management accounting is about building systems for your business where you can glance at it and be like, oh, wow, we're doing pretty good this month. That's how much debt I have. That's how much I'm going to owe here pretty soon. And this is how much is coming in. Sweet. I know the score on the scoreboard. If you don't know the score on the scoreboard right now, 
it's almost impossible to win. I'm preaching to myself here, but I'm doing my best so that my systems reflect the reality of my financial situation so that I don't make silly decisions like, yeah, I'm totally going to hire this person and spend you know, all this money training them, or I'm going to make this marketing investment, or I'm going to buy this piece of gear, or you know, fill in the blank. You need to be able to look at the scoreboard and say, ooh, gosh, we're down by four, and there's only two minutes to go. So why did it take you... You know, you, you haven't always had this management accounting thing implemented in your business, right? Yes. I've always been, well, at least uh, for the past seven or eight years, just fascinated by this scoreboard analogy. And this comes back to in seventh grade, I played football. And in eighth grade, I played football. And in eighth grade, by the end of the season, we had yet as a football team to win a game throughout seventh or eighth grade. And oh. we were tied up. Oh, buddy. Oh, it was terrible. We were so bad. We were tied up at the end of our very last game, but our scoreboard didn't work. And as a result, we didn't call the right plays in order to score on time. We were being too conservative and we should have been more aggressive. So I'm fascinated by this scoreboard analogy. And for me, what inevitably the hole that I always have gotten myself into is I've lied to myself and I've said, you know what? Quarterly payments here in the U.S., you're supposed to pay your taxes each quarter before they're due on April 15th. And I would say, well, the fee for not paying my quarterly payment is so small. It's like the best debt I can have, but I don't know exactly how much money I will owe come April 15th. And what inevitably would happen is I'd be like around, you know, January, February, March, I'm like feeling pretty good. The business is awesome. And I'm like, yes, I'm totally making a lot of money. Like I'm out of debt. And then my accountant would be like, ah, here's how much you owe. And I'd be like, ah, debt again. And so I get out of debt definitely right before tax season in the past, well, past years. But then I'm right back in it because I got to write a five figure check to the U.S. government. Yep. So it's like this endless cycle of, and it's, and, and here's the thing. I don't want to focus too much on one specific kind of debt because every single person that's in debt right now is in a different area. So let's just put this from the perspective of anyone listening right now that is currently in a amount of debt that they find unmanageable. And this is probably a pretty fair amount of our listeners. I think the average consumer debt by the average American is something like $56,000. It's probably about right. blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. But that was the latest stat that I saw. It might actually be higher than that now. But let's just say that someone's in that $50,000 of debt and they're in either a day job or a studio where they're maybe, maybe making that much money per year. How does someone get out of debt? And let's just stick with the audio world, just because I think the entrepreneur has a slightly different type of problem getting out of a debt than someone that has a steady paycheck every single month yeah. from a day job. So let's just look at this from a, from a self-employed person. How the hell do we get out of debt if we get to this point? Well, I would say, we've talked about this in the podcast before in the past. Our advice to you from a banking perspective is to have a personal account and a business account and that you keep the two completely separate. When you have debt, I think it's important, and I've had a lot of success in this recently, to have a separate account that's debt-related. So the problem with debt and the problem with accounting, the problem with running a business is that you need to be able to look at the scoreboard, like I said, and know your financial condition at the drop of a hat. You should be able to pull your cell phone out and glance at it at any time and say, oh, I see how we're doing. Oh, cool. Here's the thing. Older generations you know, that are you know, older than me, this is mind-blowing to them. They've never had the ability to do this because they didn't have technology on their side. 
us as a younger generation, we have a bigger opportunity than any previous generation to actually run good businesses because of the management accounting piece. We can actually use automated services. We can actually use online banking to immediately and instantaneously be able to take your financial temperature and know how you're doing as a company and whether you're actually winning or losing. I think that's the big thing is, first of all, keeping things separate. That's one of the first things I teach new businesses is even if you're pre-revenue, just have a separate bank account that you're spending money out of and that you're keeping things separate from day one, from day zero even. But I think the second step in this is, and this is a big step that a lot of people struggle with, is just taking your head out of the sand because people have this tendency to want to either ignore or pretend uh, like something's not happening to them. So as they're getting fatter, they refuse to look at their weight. They refuse to weigh themselves. As they are going broke, they refuse to check their bank account. And it perpetuates the issue. If you are gaining weight and you're never checking your weight, you have no comprehension of how much weight you're gaining. And so you're just continually going up and up and up. If you are broke and you have no money in your bank account and you never check it, you're now going to be more broke because you're getting overdraft fees on your debit card because you keep buying things you can't afford because you're never checking it and it perpetuates the issue. So I think for us, just being aware of where we stand, looking at the score and getting your head out of the damn sand is going to be the number one most important part of making this work. Yeah. And because we're successful podcasters, neither of us have ever struggled with this. So we're in a good position to teach it. I'm just kidding. I was about to say, speak for yourself, (laughs) friend. (laughs) I struggle with this constantly. What a dick comment, Chris. Yeah. (laughs) No, I get it. That's funny. No. That is funny. No, this is like, this is, I all the time want to stick my head in the sand and ignore reality if I know I'm not doing so well. And I love doing that right around tax season. And here's the thing. There's a great quote. I think I've mentioned it like 17 times in the podcast before. There's a guy who wrote a book called Integrity by this guy, Dr. Henry Cloud. And he said, integrity is having the courage. Inte- Ooh. <laughs> I love any mess up quotes. And, and this is the wonderful part of podcasts is we get to like edit all of this stuff and make you sound so damn smart, except for this. I know. It's except amazing. for this specific time, because James is going to leave this in. <laughs> but try that again. Okay, here we go. Integrity is eating reality for breakfast without getting sick. When it comes to your finances, when it comes to debt, you have to eat reality for breakfast. You have to accept that you have the debt. And even sometimes when you don't want to, and man, I have been there hardcore, uh, you have to look reality in the eye and you have to say, okay, let's look at the numbers. I'd say more than just integrity. I think that's the recipe for any long-term success in anything you're doing. Yeah. And it's hard, man. It's super hard. And I'm sure every single one of you struggles with this. And the ones that are thinking, I don't struggle with that, you struggle with it the most. So, man, it is so hard. It is the human condition. And um, I can't speak for Brian, but man, this is is a struggle for me to sit down sometimes and be like, ah, I want to win today. So I'm going to ignore what's not going well. And man, that's that's the recipe for divorce. That's the recipe for failed businesses. That's the recipe for you know, broken relationships. It's man, you name it. I think if you go back to episode number 51, why are audio engineers so bad with relationships? I think we discussed that pretty well there, which is we tend to gravitate towards those things that we're good at, which is fidgeting with knobs and compressors and EQs. And we tend to ignore and avoid the things that we're bad at relationships or insert thing here, money management, whatever. 
So everyone struggles with this, whether you think you do or you don't. Every single one of us struggles with this in some way, shape, or form, and we tend to cope by doing more of the things we're already good at and ignoring the things that we are bad at, and that just compounds the problem. Super, super, super interesting. So this idea, management accounting, you know, being able to look reality at a moment's notice right in the eyes and say, okay, I'm in more debt this month than I was last month, or I'm in less debt this month than I was in last month. Now, something interesting happens when you have a scoreboard. You can look up at it and recognize, embrace the reality that you're not doing so well, or you can look up there and say, oh, wow, I'm turning things around. This is going pretty well. Holy crap. This is fun. Let's do it some more. There's this interesting thing that happens when you have this scoreboard where when stuff starts to move in the right direction, it's fun, man. And I tell you what, when I'm feeling great, that the inverse of me wanting to stick my head in the sand, if I'm having a slow month or something like that, the inverse is true. I get up and I immediately want to like look at the numbers and be like, yes, okay, it's going well. That's how I am right now. Like I just lost about 12 pounds just by eating healthy and going to the gym. And part of the process of doing that was managing, like checking my weight, checking the scoreboard every single day, whether I knew it was going to go up or knew it was going to go down. And what I saw over a six month period was very much a roller coaster. And then eventually I had stuck with it enough to where it started falling to where I wanted to see it. And it was frustrating when it was a roller coaster. It was frustrating when my weight was going up and I was doing nothing about it. It was super helpful as it was going down. So now let's talk about getting out of debt, the fun part of seeing those numbers go down. Well, and here's the thing. If you are in debt, if your financial situation isn't great and you've got like, you know, your Apple loan and your one credit card loan and your other credit card loan and this money that you owe to your friend Bob for that one thing that one time. If you have your debt spread out over lots of different places, it becomes very difficult to keep the score because you have to do math in order to keep the score. My advice to you is when you're trying to get out of debt is to not have to do math. Is to figure out a way. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, keep stupid. it simple, stupid. Bingo. Now, the way that you do that is you have three accounts. You have your personal account, you have your business account, and then you have one other account that's your debt. One number that's, this is my debt. And two things happen then. One, you have a scoreboard where you can look at the debt number and know whether it's gone up or down in the last month. And two, you get used to living on a budget with your personal life and living on a budget with your business life where you're not making investments that you shouldn't, where you're not taking risks. And that helps you get used to running your business in a consistent way each month and not being like, oh, I really feel like uh, I need to buy, you know, fill in the blank piece of gear. And suddenly that $2,000 purchase messes your cash flow up. Yep. So that first step is just establishing an easy to follow scoreboard so that when you are tempted with the opportunity, I use the air yeah. quotes there, Ooh. the opportunity to buy something that you want, you can quickly look at your scoreboard and say, nope, no can do, move on. So here's how I would recommend doing that. There's a couple different ways. The Maybe the easiest and cheapest way to do it, and this is going to surprise you guys, is to get another credit card. What? What? That sounds crazy, <laughs> man. So here's the thing. Many business credit cards, if you have an LLC, which is what I recommend, you can go to the bank and say, hey, I want to get a new business credit card. I did this on, I use Chase. I don't necessarily recommend Chase, but I use them because I've used them forever. I went on Chase's. That's not a good reason to use somebody, Chris, but I digress. Go ahead. You're right. I went into Chase's website. I applied for a new business credit card and I knew within a day. And that new business credit card has 0% interest. 
what I then do. Let me stop you really quick just to do clarify yeah, something. Yeah. You don't have to be an LLC to get a business credit card. That's true. I have a business card under my studio, which is a sole proprietor. So just a little side note there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get overwhelmed by the LLC. That's not part of this episode. Don't worry about that. So if you get an interest-free credit card, then you begin to pay all of your bills, all of your business bills with the interest-free credit card. And the goal is that you have monthly expenses with your business and you get to the point where maybe you have a different credit card for your regular monthly expenses that you pay off in full every single month. That's the goal. So that eventually that business credit card for your debt with the 0% interest is holding all of the debt. So basically you're trying to move the debt from all those little tiny accounts with probably higher interest rates than 0% because it's going to definitely be higher than 0%. And you're trying to move that over to your credit card. Why not, Chris? Why not just move the debt directly from those other accounts into your new credit card? You can, which is a great point. You can do, in many cases with a new credit card like this, you can do a zero balance transfer. And what that means, I just did this the other day. I had a $4,000 loan through Apple for some new computer equipment that we bought. And it was interest-free for the next year. But I was like, you know, that's multiple accounts. I want to be able to be reality focused. So when I applied for the credit card, I said, hey, I got a, I think it was $3,600 with Apple. And then the bank took care of paying off that for me. And now that debt exists on the 0% interest-free credit card. I can look at that credit card at a glance. I can literally pull up my iPhone right now and I can tell you how much debt is sitting on that credit card. So the goal here is that your personal account is consistent. Your business account is consistent and your debt is completely separate from the rest of them so that you can glance at that. And that's the single member that you need to know. Do I have less debt this month than I had the month before? Or do I have more debt? And it's extremely sobering. You mentioned before, when you feel the gear slut fever coming at you, that you can just pull out your phone and be like, that would increase the debt account. I'm not going to buy that. Never mind. So it's sobering that getting your head out of the sand is sobering. Many people would tell you that my advice is terrible. And for you, it might be. That's the thing about financial advice is like audio advice. It is not one size fits all. We have a couple other ideas on how you could consolidate your debt. Before we move on to that, I want to talk about the danger of zero interest and the lie that is zero interest sometimes. And that is a lot of times when you have a zero interest offer, this goes for gear financing on Sweetwater. If you're the kind of person that wants to take advantage of that, if you have a zero interest credit card, Apple, you want to make sure in a lot of these that at month 12 or whenever the 0% interest thing ends, a lot of them, if you have any amount of balance left on that account at the end of the 12 months, all of the interest from that 12 months, all of a sudden gets added to your account. And that completely negates the entire point of using zero interest card or some other account like that to do this. So that's just something to watch out for. Yeah. You need to make sure that if you do this method, that you're using a card that doesn't get you like that. The chase ones don't do that. At least they don't today. They might tomorrow, but there are other options as well. This is going to be so lame and you guys are going to be embarrassed to hear me say this, but a loan for mom and dad, if you can get a loan, just a small loan of a million dollars, just a small loan of a million dollars, (laughs) huge. So you could get a loan from a family member. And if you do that, you at least have that one number where you're making a consistent payment to them and you know what that number is. The power of consolidation is that it becomes a scoreboard. You can see your debt in one spot as opposed to like, oh, hold on, let me get my calculator up because I got like 14 different accounts. I need to add them all up so I know what my actual debt is. Um, One minute. And then you get distracted and do something else and then your head's still in the sand. 
Consolidation is awesome because it gives you a scoreboard. You don't need a spreadsheet. You don't need any sort of fancy tools. You just need to open your phone and look at your bank account and you know what's going on. So you could do that. Loan for mom and dad would work. An SBA loan, which I, I will confess I know nothing about. SBA is Small Business Association. So these are loans that somehow the U.S. federal government has something to do with. They're a lot lower interest than a credit card. I don't have any experience there. We've considered having somebody come on the show to talk about that. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic and I'm going to prove it to you. You and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine. So you have wild income swings from month to month. You're charging way less than you should and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six, figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. I do have a small business line of credit. I don't think it's associated with the SBA program. Mine is just through my credit union. I don't use it. I just have it in case I need it one day. Yeah. That's like a 10% interest rate. And it's lower than most credit cards, but it's still high in my mind. So I don't use it unless it's something that I absolutely need to use it for. Yeah. Which brings up a good point. Having credit lines is a very good thing. Many people think like, well, you know, if you want to be wise, you should never have a credit card. You should never have a line of credit. No, that's so dumb. You should have as much credit as possible and not use it. That goes against Dave Ramsey's point of view. But in my mind, I get credit. I open up credit lines when I never need them. And that's the best time to do it. The worst time to open up credit is when you absolutely are desperate for it. Exactly. Well, the big thing here, we're just going to digress for just a moment into credit scores. The way that you raise your credit score is exactly the way you would think you need to raise your credit score if you were borrowing money from a friend, is you borrow money and then you pay it back on time. You do this again and again and again, and the person you're borrowing money from gets comfortable lending you more and more money. That's exactly how a credit score works. Mm -hmm. So 
one of the reasons I'm able to own my own house was because as a 19 year old, I got a $500 credit card in my name so that I could get an Ohio state visor cap outside of a football game. And it was stupid, but thank God I was responsible with it. So now the age of my accounts is really, really, really high. So my credit score is great for someone my age because I've consistently demonstrated to lenders, hey, I'll pay you back and on time. So moving on, other ways of refinancing debt, and we're not going to go super deep into these because these are all up to your individual situation, but you also have a home equity line of credit that you can open. It puts a lien against your house so that if you don't pay it, you essentially lose your house. So there's a lot of danger there, but it's a great long-term solution for debt consolidation because it's generally a lot lower interest rate because it's backed by what's called collateral, your home. And a tiny minimum monthly payment. And a tiny minimum monthly payment, right? And it's like an accordion. You can use it either way. You can put money in and you can take money out of a line of credit versus a loan where if you put money in, you cannot get it back out. And that works really well for entrepreneurs like us because some months we might have a huge month and we can put a ton of money into that line of credit that we're paying off. And then we're not paying any interest for months to come. And then we might have a month or two months or three months where we make nothing or little to no money and we can pull money back out from that line of credit as needed. So line of credit in a HELOC form, if you're using it in business to keep yourself, keep your income even, it can be a good use. But again, I don't know your situation. You can put your family in a lot of danger if you are massively irresponsible with this. Yeah. So some of you are going to hear this advice and you're going to take it and it's going to be great. You'll have been wise in what part of this advice buffet you have selected. Yeah. And not just selected, but the way you've implemented it. Exactly. So Financial advice is an awful lot like fire. In the right context, it's really good. It'll cook a steak, you know? Ooh, I love steak. It'll help you make s'mores. In the wrong context, it will burn down all of Malibu, California. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's a great thing in the right context. It's absolutely the worst thing in the others. So everything that we're saying is on you as an adult to figure out what to do with this advice and to look for other advice from other people who know more about this stuff than we do. So business is not a board game where there's only one way to win, where there's only one path. There are so many different ways to run a business successfully. And you have to be aware of all the different tools that you have available to you to be successful. Well, I think we should talk about tools. I think that's something we should definitely talk about because there are so many great tools out there that will either A, help you get out of debt, or B, keep you from ever getting into debt. And both of those are good things in my opinion. So let's just chat about some tools. Yeah, I would first and foremost advise what I call, this is a tool, it's not like an app or anything you can download, but I would call this the reoccurring expense audit. This is a tool that you can use. And what the reoccurring expense audit is that you sit down at least twice a year and you get your bank statements out and you figure out what are you consistently spending money on each month. Get a spreadsheet out and literally it's the simplest spreadsheet you can have to be like a uh, phone, $50, phone on the left, $50 on the right, um, Apple computer loan, $37. Just go down there and get a list of all the different things that you're paying money each month. Add those all up and that is the minimum amount of money that you need to stay in business. If you fall below that number for any length of time, you're going to be hurting unless you get a lot of money in the bank. Are you including debt in that debt servicing or debt payments in that yes. list of, yeah, that's your overhead essentially. Yeah. yeah. Your minimum monthly payment should be in there. And once you know what that is, 
you can start to be creative about ways to remove that. So case in point, I was paying a fortune in web hosting because back in the day, I signed up for Rackspace.com. They were at the time the best you could get and the best company I could go with to allow lots of people to upload files to me. That is no longer true. They are no longer the best company to use. They are not even in the top 100. Yeah, not even close. Yeah, best companies to use. So I was able to take what was somewhere around four or $500 a month and turned it into $30 a month because <laughs> new services had come out since I had done it. When you run a business and it grows- That's $4,440 a year in savings right there. Yeah, it was huge. So that wasn't a mistake that I made to sign up for Rackspace. At the time, it was a great investment. And because uploading to my website was so easy, I made a ton of money on that. The problem was that I didn't audit myself frequently enough and ended up not realizing, not thinking creatively about, are there ways for me to get out of having to pay this each month? Are there other services that have come out? Because every month there's new companies starting. There's new companies that are like, oh, you can do file uploading through us. Or, oh, when I first started my business, there was no such thing as Dropbox. It was yousendit.com and it was a pile of burning trash. It was absolutely awful. I like to call that hot garbage. Hot garbage. It was some real hot, steamy garbage. And as technology changes, believe it or not, we are technology business people. If you own a recording studio, you are in the technology business. As stuff changes, you're able to change your technology and lower your costs. So back to what I was talking about, this tool is called a reoccurring expense audit. So sit down, make the easiest spreadsheet in the entire world, list out all of your reoccurring monthly expenses and see if there's ways to eliminate them. It's that simple. So you do the sum function and you add up what all your recurring expenses are and say it's 500 a month or 5,000 a month, whatever it happens to be. And then you get creative and say, well, sir, man, I can, I can sort based on what's most expensive in a spreadsheet. You know, you can sort descending is what that's called. And you can say, oh crap, well, I'm spending an awful lot on my rent or I'm spending an awful lot on my web server. I'm spending an awful lot on fill in the blank. And then you can start to 80-20 it and tackle the most expensive, most aggressive issues that are creating an intense amount of spending each month. If you go back to episode number 45, we have an entire episode on how studio owners are multiplying their income and minimizing their headaches using the 80-20 principle, which Chris just mentioned. Yeah, so super powerful stuff. If you have a spreadsheet with all of your reoccurring expenses on it, you can start to see, well, what's the 20% of the things I spend money on that account for 80% of my expenses? And you can start to figure out how to tackle those. This is super powerful because getting out of debt is actually really simple. There's two parts of debt. Yeah. There's the offense and there's the defense of debt elimination. The offense is earning more money, which we talk about all the time in the Six Figure Home Studio. But the second part is smart defense, which is cutting out unnecessary expenses Bingo. on your income statement or on your expense statement, because those are things that are keeping you from paying off your debt. Those are unnecessary things you're paying for that you have just been putting off because you didn't want to walk into Planet Fatness and give them your cancellation notice in person so that that $10 a month isn't coming out of your account anymore. Bingo. So this is super, super powerful stuff because there's only two reasons a business fails. One is either they have absolutely no sales or two is that their expenses are greater than their income. That's it. Those are the only two ways a business will fail other than the US government shut them down for some reason, which in our industry probably won't ever be a problem. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So this is the big thing is to get your head out of the sand, you need to use this tool of a reoccurring expense audit to figure out, well, how do I spend less each month? And if you have debt and you can figure out how to spend less each month, then you have more money to pay off the debt. This stuff is pretty simple, 
But, you know, I have to confess, I'm a work in progress on this. I am constantly looking at ways to do this stuff and reminding myself of the importance of this. Here's the thing. Jeff Bezos at Amazon, I guarantee it does the same thing. Tim Cook at Apple does the same thing. This is normal business 101 stuff. And the, the damn shame of it here is that they teach you calculus and algebra and all sorts of fancy stuff in school, but they don't teach you this stuff. Actually, it blows my it's mind. That, like That's why America's, the average American is in $56,000 yep. in debt. Well, let's just talk about a couple extra tools. We talked about that spreadsheet, yep. the recurring expense audit. That's all important. But what are some, some tools people can look into if they're looking to either get out of debt or stay out of debt? Mint.com is fantastic. Mint is a personal budgeting tool. So your debt is ultimately connected to your personal decisions in this industry. The things that you're spending money on. If you're dropping $500 a week on going out and drinking beer and you're in debt, you probably need a way. <laughs> stop it. Yeah. No. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> You need a way to be able to look at that. Mint is awesome because it plugs right into your bank accounts and can tell you, oh, you're over budget this month for beer or for restaurants in my case. Yeah, they also have an app, an iPhone or Android app awesome. that you can download and it'll give you little alerts when you're over budget on things. I use Mint, though not as much anymore because of another tool that I'll recommend at the end here. Another tool by the same company, Intuit, it's QuickBooks. There's all sorts of different software you can use to just use some kind of automatic bookkeeping software for your business so that you can at a glance pull open the app on your phone or on your computer and say, oh, I have made this much this month and spent this much this month. Makes it really, 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 really easy. It's called a profit and loss statement. Yeah, you get a profit and loss statement for the low, low cost of like a couple bucks a month. Very worth it. I still use GoDaddy bookkeeping. Nothing about it has made me mad enough to switch yet, which Chris had an issue where he wanted to switch. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that Chris and I both used GoDaddy bookkeeping and then he switched. He cheated on me and switched Sorry. to QuickBooks. Yeah, I'm never going to forgive you, man. Well, there's a long story there. So QuickBooks is great. Any sort of automatic bookkeeping software. This is an advice buffet, but the one piece of advice I would give to you is if you're like, well, I don't want to spend like $7 a month on bookkeeping software. <laughs> that's silly please get over that. Don't use a spreadsheet. That's another tool that you could use. If you're serious about your business, you have bookkeeping software, period. This is true. I'll fight anyone that says differently. I won't fight anybody for a difference of opinion on almost anything. <laughs> but bookkeeping software, it's a necessity. You have to have it. This is a plug for my new course, The Home Studio Startup, which is everything you need to know, everything you need to do, everything you need to ignore as you're going from zero to $10,000 in audio. You can go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 10K for that. The reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of that course talks about when to ignore certain things and then when to mm. do certain things. If you are under $1,000 in income, don't worry about a bookkeeping app yet. Don't worry about QuickBooks or GoDaddy bookkeeping. Worry about all the other things I talk about in that course first. Don't worry about this stuff quite yet. There's a time and there's a place that you can start stair-stepping these things on your business. But QuickBooks don't feel too bad yet if you're super early in your career. That's my only caveat with that. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love that about this advice buffet thing is that, yeah, I just said that. But if you're at less than, say, $10,000 a year, it's a lot less important. If you're like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year and you don't have bookkeeping software, Oof. yikes dude. Yikes. You need to fix that. Even at 10,000 a year, I'm just saying like, if you've made less than your first grand or 10 yeah. grand total in your careers, then you shouldn't even be thinking about this yet. I would, man, I <laughs> wish I had your course when I first started out. Sorry for the F-bomb guys. I try not to cuss in the mic. We'll replace it with a, uh, with a chicken sound. Oh, that'd be excellent. So I really wish 
that I could export your course back through space and time to say 2003. And the stuff I talk about in the podcast is almost all related to mistakes I've made. And in some lucky scenarios, books I've read. But man, to just know, you're right. There's only 10 or 20% of all that you need to know that you actually need to know when you're starting your business. And if you don't know that stuff, if you don't execute on that stuff, it kills you from the start. Like you're DOA, you're dead on arrival. Or you can be executing that stuff, but you're also trying to execute the other 90% of crap that's wasting your time and you get no progress because you're spread too thin. I'm so pumped about this course. Let me put this in audio terms. If you were like, I'm going to record vocals and you're like, I'll tell you what, here's what we're going to do. Got a Neumann U87 gear slut alert. I've got, you know, I've got like a hundred dollar Megami super fancy microphone cable. Second gear slut alert. Yeah, there we go. And I've got, you know, I've got a, I got this PV mixing board from 1985 that I'm going to use the preamp on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and then I'm going to put it into like a $10,000 converter. This is a problem, man. You're not going to record great vocals with that rig because you messed up the signal chain. You can't use this piece of crap preamp and all this other great stuff. Your business career is the same. If you don't get your signal chain right, it would have been so much better to get a cheaper mic and to spend some of that money on a decent preamp and you'd get such a better vocal tone if you did that. And that puts this, I think, terms where your course is really valuable to someone that's trying to do this for a living is that they have to figure out how to balance the signal chain. They have to figure out what's important and what can you forget about. You don't really need the $100 fancy microphone cable if you've got a $100 preamp. You know, that's a silly investment. And man, like when I dropped the F-bomb and wish that I had this course, it's because that I did such a bad job of figuring out what's the most important step I need to do next to grow my business from $1,000 to $10,000 or to get started to go from zero to $1,000. There's so many extra steps that people take that just aren't necessary that, man, I wish I could send you back in time to teach well, me. I appreciate the unsolicited plug. I'll give you your 20 bucks later, Chris. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So rates 21 though. Oh, 21. Okay. Oh, we're negotiating. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. I go back to episode number. Right, I, I don't know. Stop, Whatever. Stop, stop. <laughs> I got to get this last tool out here. There's one more tool I want to recommend here. You talked about mint. This is basically mint's competitor, although it's tiny compared to mint. Mint is huge. Massive company owns it into it. This one is called You Need a Budget, YNAB, Y-N-A-B. It's like a smaller niche. It's funny because it's not free. It's like five bucks a month or something. And it's a personal budgeting app. But this one is so much better than Mint in every conceivable way. If you can get past the learning curve, it has a much higher learning curve. But it works much like Dave Ramsey's envelope system. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. There'll be a link to it in our show notes page at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 57. Dave Ramsey's sort of like personal finance guru. Yeah. 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 Dave Ramsey, personal finance guru who has something called the envelope method, which is where you literally take all of your cash and put it into envelopes and those envelopes, you pull money out when you need money. It's like archaic, but effective. This app is very much the same way, but it's all digital. You have your digital envelopes and you have your money you're putting into it from your influx every month. And then when you have an expense that comes in, it's linked to your bank account, you approve it and it pulls it out of that envelope. And that works so well from my brain. And it forces me to have a semi-automatic solution. The thing about Mint that sucks is it's fully automated. If you don't check it, it happens. If you check it, it's just one of those things you can easily just start ignoring it because it's so much information. This one, it basically, you have to be actively looking at your finances 
in order to use the app. And so I recommend this one highly for those of you who are struggling to stick to any sort of system. So that's my one plug for a tool today. Awesome. Well, I've got some ideas to sort of start wrapping this up here. Sure, boo. I would say first and foremost, Brian and I are not finance experts. I'm sure there's some stuff that we said that in the wrong context would be catastrophic for some businesses. There's some stuff we said that would be awesome for some businesses. The conversation of finance and of debt is about choosing what tools to use to solve a problem. This is really important to understand. The other thing that I think is super important to understand is that if you're the most talented producer in the entire world and you don't understand finance, personal finance, or like how to deal with your business, you will have debt. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you won't be producing for a living. It's super intense. You can absolutely take the gifts that you have and squander them by not investing in learning about finance and debt. That being said, you're going to mess this up. You're going to leave money on the table. You're going to make mistakes. I've made many mistakes. The beauty of those mistakes is that when you make a mistake that costs you money, there's a pretty good chance that you might actually learn and not make that mistake again. And that's what is actually important here. Hopefully you take some of the stuff that we talked about here and you begin to learn more about this stuff. Take it into your own hands and you figure out how to either get out of debt or how to keep yourself from going into debt, which will lead you to hopefully be successful someday. If nothing else, I just want people that are in massive amounts of debt right now to take this episode as a wake-up call that A, you've got to do something. You got to do something, something, anything towards making steps towards progress. And that's what I want people to do is instead of just like letting life happen to them and debt accumulate and maybe their weight go up and you know whatever, all these bad things happen to them, they're taking active steps towards progress. And it's not going to be an overnight thing. This is not something you're going to wake up tomorrow, all the problems are gone, but you're going to be chipping away at it over time. And hopefully through some of the stuff we talked about, you've at least thought about, okay, maybe there's an actually a solution to this debt problem that I have and that I am actually in control of this and I can't start taking steps to it. Now, what we talked about in this episode may not be the best solution for you. And I can guarantee you it's not the best solution that exists out there, but you can start going to look and start making those steps towards progress and finding what is the best solution for your specific problem, whether that's debt or whether it's your weight or whether it's your income or whatever, start taking steps towards progress in those things. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. If you haven't already, you can go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash community and join our free Facebook community. This is where there are thousands of other home studio owners who are all trying to make it in this confusing world of business and finance and debt and marketing and business entities and everything else under the sun. This is where we all come together and help each other out. So if you haven't joined that community yet, go there now. That's the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash community. Next week, Chris and I tackle a subject that we have not really touched on that much on this podcast before, and that is business models. My business model is that I work with a relatively low amount of people, usually about four or five projects a month, and I have a high average income per project, which you'll find out the exact amount next week as well. And these projects take me a relatively long amount of time compared to Chris's business model. Chris has the exact opposite of my business model. He works with a lot of artists, so many artists that will actually blow your mind. You'll hear the exact number next week. But his average price per project is so much lower than mine, but also his average time per project 
is lower than mine. So two completely different business models, two different paths. Both of us have reached six figures and beyond. And there's also a third business model, a third path to six figures. And we discuss all of those next week on the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. That episode comes out on Tuesday morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Make this part of your routine if you haven't already, because this podcast comes out every single week, rain or shine, Christmas or Thanksgiving, doesn't matter. It's going to come out every week. So until next time, hopefully you got something out of this episode, share it with an audio engineer friend of yours, leave a review on iTunes, but until next time, happy hustling. Whoa.